Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 107 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at getting your electric vehicle serviced. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to remind my EV Musings patrons to stay tuned after the closing music for some post-credit goodness, where I talk about charging hubs. Our main topic of discussion today is EV servicing. It's been uh, it's long been held that EVs are more reliable and need less servicing than conventional fossil fuel vehicles. They have fewer parts by an order of magnitude, and a general service can often consist merely of checking the tyres and topping up the windscreen washers. The last service I had on my Kia Soul was ooh, about £120 for pretty much just that. It's a little annoying, but that's the main dealer price. It could have been cheaper if I'd purchased a service plan when I bought the car, but, you know, I didn't, so there we go. Now, with so many vehicles being leased nowadays, it's important for owners to make sure they get them serviced appropriately, according to the manufacturer's spec, usually at main dealers, especially if they want to keep the warranty valid for the cars. But for a lot of second-hand cars, or cars bought from new under PCP or personal loans, where they're either no longer under warranty or they need the main dealer stamp to keep the lease terms active, there are other options for service on your car. And Today on the show, we're talking to James Coates. He's ex-Jaguar Land Rover, very experienced in the world of EVs, and half of the famous James and Kate YouTube channel, which reviews electric vehicles for the rest of us. But James recently took a little bit of a left turn with his career. He left uh, Jaguar Land Rover and teamed up with Matt Cleveley from Cleveley Motors in Cheltenham to create a mobile EV servicing company. They started with a single fully equipped ENV200 and sent James off to all four corners of the United Kingdom to service people's EVs. Welcome, James. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Let's let's just start with the big uh, the big question there. That was a big move to do, uh, Jaguar Land Rover down to uh, something like, you know, effectively you in a van by yourself. Why did you do it? Uh, yeah, it's, it was a very big jump for me. Um, I'm not one who's keen on moving jobs. Uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely, I was apprehensive. The reasons mainly were that I was looking for something a little bit different that could had a bit more of a customer facing kind of role. And I, I wanted to be sort of out there helping people more. And although my job at Jaguar Land Rover was in electrification and was ultimately helping produce EVs and, and get them into production and, and out to customers, it wasn't quite giving me what I wanted. So the uh, jump to go and work with Matt and a former company just seemed like uh, the, the right place to be. And it, it kind of gave me that sort of upbeat, feeling that you get when you go to work and you think yes this is this is actually where I want to be and what I what I want to do uh, not only that actually uh, there was a quite a, a large voluntary redundancy package that was made available uh, and that that helped uh, uh, there's there's no getting around that probably <laughs> if that wasn't there I would have had to think very long and hard because it's Jaguar Land Rover is a great company to work for, and I, I really loved it. I loved the staff. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved the the trips that we had, and I loved that area of uh, of working in um, electric vehicle prototype. So it it was a big thing to leave, and yeah, the the voluntary redundancy definitely helped. So, how did Matt pitch it to you initially? Well, it was interesting because he had a repair on a Nissan Leaf battery which Matt's a, a fantastic electric vehicle technician 
but fixing batteries is not something that many people have done and of course at Jaguar Land Rover this was absolutely everything we were doing so I was very very experienced in that field and he suggested that I went down to to make a video with him and and get some hands on and and see how it went and we made it into a video um, and then he said, do you want to come and work for me? <laughs> <laughs> to which I said, no, not really. I said, I've got a really good job and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's on my doorstep. Um, it's the, Working in a workshop, is a, it felt like a bit of a backward step. And then he sort of revisited it about a week later and said, what about if we work together as a company? And I thought, actually, that's got some legs because Cleveland's are brilliant. They're really, really well known. And, and the reputation is is completely justified mm-hmm. because they are at the forefront of everything electrical um, and they are pushing the boundaries um, and there's not many other people doing it. So uh, for me, uh, with Matt and Claire and David and Kate on board as well, it just it just all seemed to come together at the right time. So. Now, I, I said in the introduction there that it's long been held that EVs are more reliable and need less servicing. So if they are so quick and cheap to service, why is a, a business like yours something that you'd think to, to go into and make money on? Why, why is it a necessary business? Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, uh, something that happened just this evening, uh, I had an email from a potential customer who said, how much does it cost for you to do this and this? And I gave him the prices and he came back and said, not too dissimilar to the main dealer. And I said, yes, very true. I said, but I'm very much of the thinking that you get what you pay for, with us anyway. Um, we, When we service a vehicle, we make sure the customer gets the money's worth and they get that by us making sure we do the relevant checks and making sure it has the relevant service items attended to. When a customer says to me, I can get my vehicle serviced for £59 at the main dealer. Mm-hmm. I, you, I won't ever say a bad thing about a dealer. Uh, it's just, it's, there's a bit of an unwritten rule in the trade that you don't do that. And, mm-hmm. and so I don't, but you can do the maths and work out that when a dealer who normally charges £120 an hour is servicing your car and doing a major service for £59, you have to question exactly how much time they're dedicating to looking at your vehicle. Yeah. And with that, a car may only have 8,000 miles on it, but you don't know what's happened in that 8,000 miles. Potholes, curbs, ball joints, anything can happen that needs some attention. Uh, And if you don't give it the right amount of attention, then ultimately it will slip into a a state of disrepair. I'm not going to say not safe because that's really pushing the boundaries. But for me particularly, when my wife and my my children are driving around in my car, I want to make sure that it's in a fit state for them to do that. So whether it be internal combustion or whether it be electric, it needs to be looked at. Sure, absolutely, totally agree. So generically or generally, what, what are the main sorts of bits of work that you do to uh, an EV? I mean, Leafs, do they seem to be particularly prone to certain problems? Do I remember from your video you do a lot of uh, brake work on uh, on leaves, yes. or am I confusing that? No, no, you're, you're quite right. So the bulk of our work is Nissan Leaf because there's so many of them, Renault Zoe's because there's so many of them, and Tesla's because there's so many of them. So we do we do do other models, but they are lesser. So you mentioned, was it a Kia Soul at the beginning? That's mine, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
So I do the odd Kia Soul. I did one last week, actually, uh, but I probably haven't done a Kia Soul for two months prior to that, maybe a month. But they're a little bit more sporadic because we're in lesser numbers. Uh, but the Nissan Leaf in particular does suffer with the brakes. And it's not that the brakes are bad. It's that the application for the brakes is bad. The brakes on the Nissan Leaf uh, are, are hauled over from another internal combustion car where they're worked hard. And because on the Nissan Leaf, they don't work hard. In fact, they do practically nothing. Mm-hmm. They seize up. And unfortunately, because they seize up, the the, the pads stop moving freely in the carrier. Uh, and then when you do apply them hard, they then stick on. And then, of course, they start wearing out. They, they affect your efficiency. And then when you do come to need them in that, that opportune moment, that's when you and the car veers off to one side because one side's working and one side's not. That's when you realize. Um, so, yeah, certainly for the Nissan and the earlier Tesla Model S and Model Xs, we, we do a lot of brake work. Is it fair to say that a lot of the work you're doing is of that nature? It's things that have, you know, little things that have glitched, things that are known problems. Or do you tend to do the majority of, uh, you know, I just need my car serviced, come in and, you know, check everything and fill up the screen wash? Uh, well, we do top up the screen wash <laughs> as well as, but uh, we, we, so we do everything. So I'll, I'll do everything from checking suspension, to, uh, top ball joints and bottom ball joints, track rod ends, uh, brakes, topping up screen wash, checking brake fluid. Uh, we, we do everything that would be done on any normal car apart from things like oil and filters and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of business, which obviously isn't, uh, isn't applicable to, uh, to an EV. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, but the majority is, is general servicing work. When it comes to the HV side, few and far between. Could you deal with the, the HV side? Are you um, experienced in that? Uh, yes, I am experienced in that. The only thing is we have to be realistic on what you can realistically achieve at a customer's house mm-hmm. on their driveway. If I have customers ring me up and they say, oh, I think I need a new module in my Nissan Leaf battery. And mm-hmm. I say, okay, that's fine. Can you do it on my driveway? And <laughs> to which I say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Because it's it's not realistic for me to jack the car up, remove the battery and strip the battery on somebody's drive. That is a, a workshop job. Sure. And it, it, you know, you need, it needs to have that, that attention given to it. But again, modules in batteries are few and far between, very few and far between. Now, obviously, the USP, the unique selling point for your business is the fact that you go out to the customers, as you've mentioned. So what sort of distances are you doing for that kind of work? How many jobs a week typically? So I tend to do on a normal week when I'm working in England, I will do 10 a week. So Mm -hmm. two a day. Occasionally, I'll push that a little bit. But to make it a viable day and not too excessive in terms of working hours, I tend to stick to two a day. When I go to Scotland, because I'm away and I don't need to get home to my family, I can lengthen the days and I can start earlier and finish later. So over a nine day period, I might do 21 jobs, for example, which is something I've done recently. Wow. So 10 jobs a day, um, uh, sorry, 10 jobs a week, that tends to work about right for us. And what sort of distances would you cover in a day or a week? Uh, well, last week uh, I worked four or five days and I did 1,306. Actually, yes, you're right, because I saw you posted that. Um, yeah. cost £62 in total for home and public charging for that, which is not bad, is it? No, and that was actually, that was using Instavolt and Osprey, which are both 40p a kilowatt hour, and um, Gridserve, which is 30. So they're 
two of the most expensive. And even then, it's still viable for us to use an EV um, and, and get around. It still works out with, with a balance of home charging as well. It works out at 4.2p 4, 4. a mile, I think. So very, very cheap to run. Uh, now, we'll, we'll come on a little bit to the vehicles that you're using, but just sort of to round off that discussion on the pricing, um, by the time this one is released, I will have also released an episode that talks about the price of rapid charging. And the thesis that I got there is that it doesn't really matter how much we uh, we are charged for rapid charging as long yeah. as it's available and reliable. Now, for yes. the vast majority of drivers, that's that's accurate. I think for someone like you who does a high mileage, there's obviously going to be a point at which you think it's now a little bit too expensive to run this from a rapid charge. Do you know what that value is, what that figure is? Uh, yeah, so I've done some rough rough maths in my head. Um, and I think, bearing in mind, we're a company, so we can, we can pull the VAT off the price that you see. So mm-hmm. when you see 40p, as an as a individual, you will pay forty p. To us, we can take the VAT off, so it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people seem to forget that. So from a, a company perspective, it's slightly different. Um, but we, if somebody said we're going to go to forty five p, that would be about my limit. I look at Ionity, and you know that that doesn't impress me at all when they're trying to charge 69 pence. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but when I, I know Osprey and Instavolt, they're companies, they're, they're in the business of making money. And if we want reliable infrastructure, we need to pay that price. And, mm-hmm. and I'm more than happy to, to support that. So, um, yeah, I have, I've got no I've got no quibbles about about paying 40p a kilowatt hour to a, to a company to, to help them improve and, and to help me get around doing my job. Fantastic. Let's let's talk about your daily routine and the charge. You 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 start off fully charged, and you work out sort of where you're going to go um, for a charge, or do you just sort of wing it more or less? That is exactly what I do. I do wing it. So depending on my next day, I'll look at my next day towards the end of the previous day, and I'll think, okay, well, I'm only working eighty miles away, so I don't need a full charge. Um, generally I do just go home and plug it in and leave with hundred percent, but not always. Mm-hmm. I will, the, the range that on the current vehicle I'm using is about 220 miles and that is a long way. So that will take me normally to my first job, to my second job and back home. Mm-hmm. And I'm also very lucky to be in a position where I can top up at people's houses. Um, not every time. But a lot of the time, probably eight out of 10 people are more than happy for me to plug in. Mm-hmm. So I, I am quite lucky in, in that respect that I can get home some days with 65, 70% and I've not gone anywhere near a rapid charger. Now, obviously, when you do a road trip such as up to Scotland, then that becomes yeah. a different um, sort of a different, different prospect. So presumably, are you then looking for hotels with charges attached or do you just sort of say, well, we'll get, we'll get it charged anyway and then we'll get a hotel anyway? I mean, what's, what's the process on that? Yeah, so I never look for a hotel with a charger. I look for a Premier Inn and simply because that's the best hotels, I think, for balance mm-hmm. um, that you can stay in. Um, I, my charging etiquette if you like is completely separate to where i stay I'm, i don't really bring the two together so i will just say for example i'm going to scotland um my generally i go up the west coast across up to aberdeen and then come that back down the east coast 
uh, I look for charges when I get to about 25%. And then I think, okay, I need to find a charger. And that's when I start heading to one. And so far, fingers crossed, that's, uh, that's worked okay for me. Now, I want your thoughts and opinions on the current state, the charging network in the UK, but we'll come to that in a second. I've got a couple more things I want to go through before we get to that. If you, if we look at, say, um, a road trip, so a Scottish road trip, is there a minimum number of jobs that you'd need to have to make something like that worthwhile? Um, no, not really. Uh, well, yes, there probably is, but I, I'm never at a point where I'm questioning if I've got enough work, um, every 10th email or ninth email that comes in is from Scotland. Mm-hmm. So I've always got enough work. And in fact, I'm actively pushing it back into the next trip up constantly to try and, to try and, um, to balance it out. Uh, I've, uh, it's a fine line between doing too much and then, um, actually not servicing enough people's cars, but it's never from the perspective of this doesn't physically pay. Mm. So I've never got an issue in that department. So what's the furthest you've done on a, a particular, well, I'm going to say trip, but a particular um, set of customers? Now, whether that's up to Scotland or in a, a, a single day, what's the most you've ever done? Actually, I I had a very long day yesterday. Um, I went to Sunderland mm-hmm. um, and that was 191 miles to the first customer and then from Sunderland, I came down to York and then York back home. That was a long day. I think it worked out about 410 miles. But prior to that, I had two customers in Wales and then I had a customer cancel, which meant I had to juggle some jobs around. And the only way I could pull it together was to drive from Hinkley, where I live, mm-hmm. to Anglesey. Did a job on Anglesey, then drove from Anglesey to South Wales from south wales back home and it was 554 miles at the end of the day it was a very very long day <laughs> so, Ooh, i uh, can imagine but it, it, i wouldn't ordinarily plan like that it was quite simply because um a customer a customer left me in the lurch and mm. it wasn't the other customer's fault all they know is i'm coming to service their car and i have to go and service their car i can't come up with an excuse or sorry somebody's dipped out so unfortunately you're you're left in the lurch. It just you just can't do that to customers. So I had to bite the bullet and get on with it. So presumably that implies that when you look at the emails that come in saying I need servicing and you batch them together and say, well, I can do, you know, I can do the Sunderland swing and I can include these customers and I can do a Welsh swing and I can include these customers. And yes. does that mean that you're expecting a certain amount of flexibility on behalf of the customers, or do you have ones who say I need this done on Wednesday and there's no sort of flexibility involved? Um, I do have customers who who do this, and they they email me and say, "Hi James, can you get to me before next week?" And I say that no, that's just you you can't book into a garage before next week, let mm-hmm. alone a mobile service. <laughs> so, and I it's taken me a while to learn, but I I've got to the point where I I can now turn around to a customer and say, "No, I'm sorry, I can't help you." Uh, but prior to that, I I did try and cater for everybody, and it it, it wasn't working. In terms of batching people together, yes, I will. Um, I might have a customer say, hi, James, I'm in Sunderland, and I'll look and think, okay, Sunderland, that's quite a long way away. What can I do on the way or on the way back? Mm-hmm. Now, Sunderland is a long way, but that means there's a lot in between me and Sunderland that I can do on the way there or on the way back. Yeah. 
So coming down to York, that was almost on the way back. So it worked out really well for me. Um, So it's not too difficult. However, there are certain areas of the country which are difficult to to cater for. Um, I've had a customer in Red Ruth in uh, Cornwall, Mm. Um, it's like 300 miles away it's it's epic journey Um, and he wanted a minor service and I I just had to say look I'm really sorry it's just not viable for me to drive 600 miles to come and do a minor service on your car if you can find somebody local who needs a service as well as you then that will work but unfortunately he couldn't so so I had to let him down but yeah certainly the the geography I do try and batch jobs together and, and try and make it work for me in terms of flexibility, post-coronavirus, mm-hmm. customers seem to be very, very flexible. I think a lot more people are working at home now. So that's kind of working for me. So I, I can say that I can get you on a Wednesday at two and they say, that's fine. I never really get too many customers saying, no, I, I can't do that. That doesn't work. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, with the uh, with the flexibility that working from home gives a lot of people, that's obviously going to work to your advantage, isn't it? So Yes, yeah. absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier on that, um, you know, you do Leafs because there's a lot of Leafs, Zoe's because there's a lot of Zoe's, Tesla's because there's a lot of Tesla's. Um, we've obviously got a lot of the newer types of vehicles coming on uh, now with, uh, for ex- instance, the MG, um, similar to the one that you drive. Will you try your hand at any electric vehicle or are there certain ones where you go actually no i don't think i can try that no i, I try my hand at anything it's it, the the thing is they're all the principle of how they work is the same mm-hmm. the powertrain is the same they've all got washer fluid they've all got brake fluid they've all got wheel bearings they've all got brake pads it, it, they're the same it's it's like asking will i service a ford sierra or a Vauxhall astra mm-hmm. they're different different manufacturers but the, the the principle of how how they operate is is predominantly the same so yeah no, no evs are an issue i might sometimes have to go into technical data and check on wheel nut talks or you know location of a pollen filter and the, how often it needs changing but mm-hmm. really there's there's nothing between them now you're you're obviously using evs as the workhorse vehicles that um, that you use to do this now initially i believe it was the env 200 uh you had the battery upgrade on that am i right yeah yes we upgraded it from a 24 kilowatt hour to a 40 which gave you a range of the best i've had is 158 miles mm-hmm. that was driving up north in perfect conditions slipstream in lorries <laughs> so, <laughs> um the worst occasionally it'll come down to about 110 mm-hmm. so it's not too bad it's not too bad considering it is a van and it's not the most efficient vehicle I know because we've chatted about this that um, you've now bought the uh, M5, haven't you? The the MG. Um, yes, the MG5. Yeah, MG5. Absolutely brilliant. Now, for me, looking at this, I'm thinking buying an estate car for something to replace a van would not be my intuitive first choice. What was the thinking behind that? So, with the MV, when we first started, it was new to me. It was new to Matt and. I chucked every tool that I thought I could possibly need for every eventuality into the back of the van. Mm -hmm. And then over a period of about two months, I started to realize there were some things in there that I wasn't using, a lot of things actually. Mm -hmm. So gradually, bit by bit, I decreased the size of my toolkit. In fact, I took my toolbox out and ended up getting a lightweight uh, toolbox, a plastic one, like a little cantilever one. Mm -hmm. Um, I then changed it again took more tools out um 
uh, and to the point where actually the van was not empty, but it was it was probably had a quarter of what was originally in it. And I started looking at it, thinking, do I need a van? So we sat around, sat around trialing various different vans. We used a Zoe, we used a Vivaro, we used different things, and um, I used an MG5 standard range at the time because a long range wasn't available then. And I used that for a week, and it just chewed up the range and the amount of room in it. Bearing in mind this was a car, full car, no seats taken out. I literally put my tools in the boot, mm-hmm. and they fitted everything I needed apart from a few bits and bobs. And I thought, actually, this is just a car. This is just an estate car. This could work. And especially if we had it boarded out, converted to a van properly, I think it could work. So obviously this, this is my company, but it's also other people's company as well. So I I had to sit down and, and say to them, right, I want to buy one of these. And, you know, this is the, reason for it this is the business model this mm. this will help it will do this um and everybody went okay yeah <laughs> get one of those so um you know we've, we've all got to agree it's not just my decision sure um but having the mg is a lot of things i can drive faster yeah i can drive for longer i charge less i'm using less energy it's more efficient mm-hmm. and i can carry everything i need so the knock-on effect of that is i'm less tired I'm not stretching myself as much and the customer gets a better service and that's the crux of it. And if you, if you can provide your customer with a better service, a quicker service, everybody's happy. And of course it's, it's more cost effective for us. Don't get me wrong. We've had to, we've had to fork out for the MG, but um, it's, it's definitely well worth it to the point actually we're probably going to have another one. That's interesting. Um, I know, obviously I watched the, the video where you went through the, um, you know the whole kit out of it and it's it's interesting the way you've taken that approach which is yes it is an estate car but what we'll effectively do is we'll treat it as a van we'll take the seats out we'll put the boarding in we'll put the racking in the shelving that sort of stuff where yeah. where needed and you've managed to be able to fit everything that you need okay. in there in what i presume was quite a reasonably big difference in um in storage uh, space than what you actually had in the emv 200 yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. There is much, much more room in the EMV. But if you were to look in the back of the EMV, most of the space is just air. It's not used. It's not used. So I went to a local company and said, look, what can you do with this? And they said, what is it? They didn't even know what the car was. Um, and they looked at it and said, well, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. And they just all they've done is they've maximized the amount of space in there um, the slide-out drawer is brilliant because mm-hmm. you can get so much in there. Yeah. Um, we've also got space under the front. Um, so we've got brake discs under there, uh, four brake discs and four sets of brake pads. Mm-hmm. Um, that also helps with the weight distribution as well. You don't want it all in the back. Um, uh, but because of the racking and the weights in there, which was very specific for what we wanted, um, it just it just works. I don't need to climb in the back of it. Occasionally, there was times when I would get in the back of the EMV if it was really raining hard. Okay, I can't do that with the MG, but if it comes to it, I can get in the driver's seat, so uh, and just shut the door. So um, yeah, but um, that does bring up another question, which is, how are you going to deal with wet weather? I mean, we we're coming into winter, and you know, I've I've worked for eighteen months in a job where I was out delivering 
um, yeah. in all weathers. And it's not nice when it gets cold and wet. How's that going to impact the work that you do? Have you got any uh, provisional facilities to deal with that? So we've got, obviously got our PPE and our wet weather gear. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're okay to work in cold weather. Um, we're not going to get cold or wet. I also have um, a fantastic fishing umbrella, which lying on its side comes almost 90 degrees right round. And I, when I'm working in the wheel arches or over the bonnet, I can erect it so it can, it can cover up that area. There are occasions where I'll be doing slightly bigger jobs on Teslas where I'll need to strip the interior because we fit the power trunks and trunks. Mm-hmm. And I'll be there for sometimes five or six hours doing it. Uh, in which case I've got a gazebo, which I'll I'll pop up. Um, I mean, I wouldn't pop that up for a service, but if I'm going to be at a, a customer's house for hours, then yes, I will, because it's important that I keep the interior dry and, um, and you know, you don't want rain getting into the electric. So for them sort of occasions, the gazebo, the gazebo comes into, uh, into its own. I mean, I'm glad you said that because I'd hate to think of, uh, of you, you know, up there on some, uh, out, out on the edge of some Scottish lock service in somebody's car and the, uh, the winds blowing the rain horizontal and you're, shivering in the cold so as long as you've got the uh, the protection for that that's uh, that's a good stuff what's next for cleveland ev i mean you and i have talked and i know you bring somebody else on what's yeah what's the status on that so um he is currently just working his notice period mm-hmm. um and uh, a very long-standing friend of mine and a very very nice guy i can't wait for customers to meet him because he'll do an excellent excellent job and he's very likable mm-hmm. um so he starts on the 3rd of november so not far now he is a technician of 26 years 28 years and very experienced so uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic um the reason we've got him on is simply because my workload was getting excessive so at mm-hmm. one point my waiting list was getting up to nearly four months um, and that's just not acceptable for yeah. a customer to contact us and say hi when can you get to us and i say four months it's 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 not acceptable by any stretch of the imagination so we had to do something about that it was just finding the right person which wasn't easy and uh paul um took not a lot of convincing but he has only had one job so we had to make sure that he was comfortable leaving and the package had to be right to come to us um but he also works outside now so it's not going to be like coming from a workshop environment uh, to working outside and it being at Shell Shark. He's he's really the right guy for it. I just hope what um, is he going to use? Are you getting another MG5 for him, or is he going to use the MV200 or what? So um, there there will be an element of chopping and changing. Um, but ultimately the mg5 is for him <laughs> so, which i'm gutted about because it's going to be very very difficult for me to give him the car <laughs> oh. so um so that's why there's going to be another one because i've got very used to it um you know, driving to sunderland at 70 miles an hour and not even thinking about range is is fantastic so uh, um but but fr- from the perspective of an employee and this is this is where this is it's very important that he has the mg5 i because it's part of my company and prepared to probably do more than what an employee should be expected to do mm-hmm. um and i'll put up with the the shorter range and and the 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 bits of the job that that, that, are, that are a little bit too much for you know daily daily work 
Um, so we needed to make sure he had a vehicle where he could leave his house fully charged. He could go about his whole day and just come home and not have to worry about charging anywhere, have no issues. His only issue will probably be traffic and weather, um, which unfortunately is beyond our control. But but if we can make his life as easy as possible, he'll he'll be happy. So yeah. that's that's why he's having the MG5. That all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, I understand you run on cakes and tea and biscuits. Is that right? No, no, it's not. <laughs> but but this is a real thing. All week last week, in fact, my last job um, yesterday, a customer came out and he said, hi, James, do you want a coffee? I said, a coffee would be lovely. Thank you. So he came out with a coffee, Rocky Road, two Jaffa cakes and two chocolate digestives. <laughs> And I said, why have you done that? And he said, well, I just thought it's what, what you have to do now. So it's become a thing where all my customers are feeding me. <laughs> the, the, I'm not going to say the worst food because it's delightful. A lot of it is. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, getting, it's getting a bit far-fetched now. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the, uh, the calories where possible. I'm having to exercise more and more and more. Fantastic. Um, <coughs> was there any... Was there ever any doubt that this was going to be a success? Yeah, there was. Um, I mean, when me and Matt and Claire and Kate and David all sat down and said, "Look, this is what we're going to do," uh, we we had that first that first bit where we put it out there and said, "Right, this is what we're going to be doing. This you can use us if you want to." And then, of course, you've got that that bit of time when nothing happens, and I'm looking at Matt and I'm thinking why does nobody want us? And Matt's looking at me saying, well, I'm not, you know, it'll come, it'll come. And then it, it, it came very, very quickly within days. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we were a a month fully booked almost, almost instantly. Um, it was, it was just, I can't tell you the speed that the, the uptake came. Uh, I mean, generally in a business when you start, and I I know we started with the Cleveland name and, um, I like to think actually that, mine and Kate's reputation is quite good as well so that probably helped but we um we definitely we we definitely didn't expect it to to happen as quickly as it did but but we're very grateful for it because obviously it's it's good for business well um, it's interesting because I've got a question here which says do you think it would have been as successful as it is if it wasn't for the profile that you and Kate have as EV advocates I mean you specifically and johnny smith when he was on fully charged are one of the main reasons that i'm driving an ev and doing this podcast so you've obviously got that built in so how big a a factor do you think that was uh that's an interesting question and something that we talked about um um i i honestly don't know the answer to that and i like to think that Oh, I don't know. I like to think it's help, but then I don't like to think it's the reason why people use us because they they want me to come to their house unless it's because they trust us. And for that, then I'm okay with that. A lot of customers have said to me, the reason that we use you, and don't get me wrong, occasionally we're we're more expensive than the main dealer price, Mm -hmm. but we're obviously a lot more convenient. But they say the reason that we've got you is because you like EVs. Yes. And that's why. And I don't think it's because it's me personally. I think it's because of almost my beliefs. It's a bit like a religion, isn't it? (laughs) You know, it is. It's like my religion is EVs and and people who like EVs will look, I'll take the guy who's EV religious 
James and uh, and have him and and of course the off, off the back of Cleveland's as well. I mean, they, their reputation is fantastic. Yes, yeah, and and that that has obviously helped. So I I think yeah, there's there's an element of both that's helped. Um, but I can't. I don't want to think that the reason is because of my profile personally. Um, because to me, it's not. I, I haven't really got a profile as such. I'm just a guy who's got a job, and I happen to make videos on YouTube about electric vehicles with my wife and daughter. Oh, so. I think you're underselling yourself there, but uh, yeah, fair enough. Can you? I, well, I want to loop back now to the thing that I was going to ask you earlier on, which is, what's your appraisal of the current state of the charging network? in the UK from your experience as a full-time driver across the nation? Um, in the MG5, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> in the EMV200, um, it's, it's got worse, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of infrastructure coming on, and there are some really good companies. I, mm-hmm. I sing the praises of Osprey, Instavolt, and GridServe. Nice. I think what they're doing is fantastic. But... Yep. Just for an example, I was driving to Sunderland yesterday and I thought, oh, I could stop at Weatherby because it's got a Greggs. Because I like a Greggs. I like a flat white from Greggs. So I thought, I'll stop in there. I didn't need to. I'd still got 140 miles range at Weatherby, but I thought, well, I can stop there and plug in. I thought, I'll have a look at the chargers. There's three units there. Mm-hmm. One of those is out of action and it's literally brand new. And the other two were both being used. Now, for me, that wasn't a problem. I just carried on and just sailed on by. But I can imagine there's lots of other people out there who are in EVs, sometimes less experienced, aren't sure, don't really want to drive past a charger just in case they're still getting used to it. So they're going to get there and either have to wait or 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 not get a charge. And that's not brilliant, especially because GridServe are putting a lot of money into their, their infrastructure. And we've already got these, these reliability issues. And I'm starting to see more and more of that on Twitter um, so that definitely needs to be sorted. When you go to companies like Instavolt, well, their reliability is brilliant, and so is Osprey's. I've never had a fail charge from Osprey or Instavolt. Snap. Uh, so um, they are my go-to um, because they're so, so good. Um, but there isn't enough going in at the speed of uptake. The uptake has just shot up on a, a record scale. I mean, just the last month, um, I saw the pictures posted by Maz on Twitter and I just thought, God, that's a lot of vehicles um, and we need to increase the infrastructure. And I know they're doing it, but they need to do it quickly. They need to do it really quickly because it's, they're getting busier and busier and busier. I mean, I, I'm exactly the same as you. Osprey, Instavolt, GridServe, mm. probably in that order. Um, but they used to be the the fourth big player who we shall not name. It's incredibly disappointing the way their services has sort of fallen off uh, recently. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I see a lot of people posting about, well, you know, they're a fossil fuel company. They're not interested. But my thoughts are that, yes, I used to sing the praises of them because they were very reliable. But Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that ultimately they need to be called out on it. I mean, if you have a problem with a charger at Instavolt, for example, they have an engineer there within two days and it's yep. fixed. Yep. And that, the, for that reason, their the customer feedback is, is second to none. Um, Osprey are the same. You know, they have engineers out 
driving around the country constantly trying to fix their their charges and make sure they're at speed whereas um the company that we're not now can we name them or do you, you can if you want them? yeah because <laughs> but bp um who used to be quite um affluent on social media about how good they were and what they were doing have seemed to have just crawled back into a hole um and don't want to take any responsibility so having one person or two people manning a desk for a whole network which is terribly terribly unreliable is is just not good enough just not good enough and for that reason i cancel my membership and i don't use them and, and i get on fine without using them you know osprey interval on grid surf service quite quite well and i think that's a key thing because um the main spokesperson for bp on twitter is on record as saying you know we're the most used network in the uh, country we're the biggest network in the country but you've proved and you know i can back up that assertion that you don't need that particular network to be able to do your day-to-day work so at some point unless they do something radical they're just going to tail off into insignificance aren't they sorry they said they said what on twitter they said they were the biggest and most used network yeah yeah i didn't see that but i don't believe that for a minute um apparently according to number of transactions yes but remember the lot the vast majority of the bp charges are actually the seven kilowatt ones Okay, all right. So, yeah, that's quite a good play on numbers then, isn't it? I I, I suppose if you put the word rapid in there, I would expect that the grid surf at rugby would would outnumber them quite easily just Mm -hmm. on that one location themselves because every time I go in there, and I've been in there at some very spurious hours in the morning, there is almost always somebody charging. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just yeah, that's a, a bit naughty, but then that's advertising, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, As I say, if you if you check back on my Twitter feed, because I've called him out on that to say, you know, where are you getting this data from? Mm. Um, and there's a little sort of thread on that if you want to follow that up. Uh, right, I got two final questions for you. Uh, first one is, if you were king for a day, what would you do to make your life easier and make EV servicing easier for your customers? If I was king for a day, yeah, God, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. You could have prepped me with that question, so I could have got an answer ready. <laughs> Um, I, what would I do? I would, um, make Cleveland EV mobile as big as it needs to be instantly Mm -hmm. and have our waiting list down to a week, which is the ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd also put a, a lot of infrastructure in place for EV drivers to use. I'm going off on a tangent here and, uh, I'd then bring down the prices of, of EVs so that people could buy them and I'd add some incentives and I'll tax fossil fuel out of the market. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, Sorry, no, I mean, it's, no, I totally agree with you. And it's, it's something that's got to be done. I mean, there's obviously there's political reasons why you can't start taxing fossil fuel because it's going to affect the poor often, yeah. things like yeah. that. But, you know, ultimately that's got to be the way to do things, hasn't it? Yeah. However yeah. we, we do it. And my final question, where can people reach you if they want their, uh, their vehicle servicing? Okay, so if you send us an email to mobile at cleveleyev.co.uk, uh, I will get straight back to you. Or alternatively, you can phone us at cleveleyev in Cheltenham, or you can get to us on Twitter, you can get to us on Facebook. There's various channels, but the the, um, the email address is, is the preferred the preferred method to keep everything in one place. Thank you very much, James. Appreciate your time. No worries at all, Gary. Thanks for having me. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. 
The US Air Force is studying the feasibility of a process developed by tech company 12 that could allow the manufacture of a carbon-neutral aviation fuel called E-Jet anywhere on Earth using only carbon dioxide from the air, water, and renewable energy. Within any military force, the main bottleneck and breakpoint is fuel. With all the best will in the world, you can't have the biggest, fastest, deadliest weapons on the planet if you can't actually move because there's no fuel. Roughly 30% of casualties in Afghanistan were from attacks on fuel supply lines. So a new process is under development which will extract carbon dioxide from the air and convert it via several steps into jet fuel. The process uses polymer electrolyte membrane electrolysis, try saying that three times uh, quickly, which is a sort of inverted fuel cell with a metal catalyst installed on a cathode to break down carbon dioxide and water into their component ions and then convert them into oxygen, hydrogen and carbon monoxide. Then, via the Fischer-Tropsch process, another interesting tongue twister, which is a series of reactions developed in Germany in the 1920s that, in steps, turns them into methane, and then increasingly complex organic molecules like polyethylene, ethanol, ethylene, methane, polypropylene, and, as of August 2021, jet fuel. Naturally, there are issues to be overcome. The whole process needs renewable energy. In the Middle East, solar will work for that, as will wind, but can you do that on, say, an aircraft carrier? Also, the process will need to be scaled up for mass production. The fuel will still be mixed with regular aviation gas. And, to me, this is the killer. It still ends up with petroleum product, which is burned. But any progress is good progress. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. All access and VIP patrons, please stay tuned for some post-credits goodness where we're talking about charging hubs. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com or on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and the newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Got you covered. If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and it takes Apple Pay. Well, how about that? If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p, or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words silver service, hashtag if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, as a kid he was always fascinated by those collector's cards you used to buy at shops. You know the sort, you get a pack and an album to stick them into. He always took great care to make sure that only his best cards ended up in the albums. And when they were in, they stayed in. Uh, and then when you do apply them hard, they can then stick on. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.